We're not going to read that entire passage. We're just going to jump around in there. So just kind of have it there on your lap. And uh, we'll look at several verses in there in Proverbs 27. If you don't have a Bible, as is always the case, I encourage you to grab the one in front of you there and follow along because it's important. I want to talk to you today on the topic, what are friends for? I mean, today is National Friends Day or Friendship Day, and it seemed good, therefore, to take a break from our little series that we're doing in Philippians and, and talk a little bit about friendship. I mean, we are Friendship Bible Church, last I checked. I think that's what it says on the sign out there. And we do have a tagline that says, you have friends here. And so it seemed appropriate that maybe we ought to talk about that. But what does it mean? What is a friend? What is friendship? Webster defines a friend as, quote, one attached to another by affection or esteem. And friendship is defined as a close, trusting relationship between two people. I looked in the the thesaurus. I can never say that word, the thesaurus. It doesn't come out of your mouth right. But I looked there to try to find some synonyms for friend, and I found all kinds of them. A friend is an alter ego, an amigo, a buddy, a chum, a compadre, a comrade, a confidant, a crony, a familiar, an intimate, a mate, if you're from Australia anyway, or from Britain, a musketeer or a pal. In our day, we'd have to add bestie to that, wouldn't we? And BFF and silly things like that. One scholar wrote that Scripture stresses friendship is often but not always a positive thing. Where good friends can be invaluable in the life of faith, bad friends can be obstacles to the faith of believers or even lead them astray totally. He went on, he said, good friends are those whose commitment from the heart is shown in practical, often sacrificial care and love and service. Good friends are a source of encouragement, sympathy, comfort, and support in time of of need. Such relationships are to be cultivated, especially among believers. And bad friends are those who are close or who exercise influence, who prove to be unreliable or deceptive or who lead astray. Scripture provides numerous instructive examples of the negative effects of bad friends upon believers. So let's see what the Bible says about this, shall we? What does the Bible say about friends and friendship. And we will start here in Proverbs 27. We might jump around a little bit, but we're going to start here because Solomon made several observations about friends and friendship in this chapter. If you're taking notes, we're going to have three main thoughts. First of all, what does the Bible have to say about friendship? Secondly, I want to talk about some thoughts on who our friends ought to be. And thirdly, I want to have just a brief word for the friendless or the ones who think they have few friends. First of all, what does the Bible say about friendship? Look at verse number 6, Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. First thing I see here is that friends hurt good. Friends hurt good. In our day and age, we seldom really need to put up with any negative conversation from anybody, do we? We have our friends on Facebook. We have our followers on Twitter. I don't know what it's called on Instagram or any of the other social media platforms, but the concept is no doubt the same on all of them. You gather a group around you that you want to interact with and who wants to interact with you. And the minute you no longer agree with them, or the minute they say something that you no longer agree with, or or, or you say something they no longer agree with, you simply unfriend them. Or unfollow them. Those friends who post something 
political about which you disagree. You simply unfriend. Those friends who read your posts about some decision in life that they fear is going to harm you and say so, well, you simply unfollow them. I mean, a friend is supposed to always have your back, right? Isn't that what a friend is? A friend would never pull you up short and tell you that you're acting a fool, right? A friend would never do that. A friend would never correct you. Always accept you exactly as you are, no matter what you do. Right? Isn't that what a friend does? But you know, the Bible indicates the person who will only tell you what you want to hear, and not what you need to hear, is not your friend. The Bible says that the person who always affirms your opinions and your feelings, the yes man, if you will, is not your friend. The Bible says that the person who allows you to make foolish or questionable decisions and choices without ever speaking up, the person who never corrects you, the person who only compliments you, is not your friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. One man said a true friend doesn't sympathize with your weakness. He helps summon your strength. Henry Ford said, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Frank Clark said, a valuable friend is one who will tell you what you should be told, even if it offends you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So friends hurt good. Second thing is in verse number 9, where we see that friends give good advice. Verse number 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Ointment and perfume delight the heart. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Friends give good advice. Where verse number 6 tells us that a friend is one who will correct us when we need correction, verse number 9 tells us a friend is one who will advise us when we need direction. Good friends, biblical friends, tend to give good advice, good counsel. Bad friends, on the other hand, give exactly the opposite. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. We've talked about Rehoboam in the past. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, and Solomon, of course, is the one who wrote this very chapter that we're reading here today, the one who was uh, so wise as to write the majority of the book of Proverbs. But apparently Rehoboam did not inherit that gene, because Rehoboam was not nearly as wise as his father. He started off, at least, in a less than wise way. You remember how that started, right? Solomon was gone. The kingdom went to Rehoboam. And the people of his kingdom came to him. They sent emissaries to him, and they said, You know, we love Solomon, but Solomon was hard on us, taxed us not out of us. He, he, he put heavy burdens on us. He just uh, was, he was hard, and we want you to lighten the load a little bit. And Rehoboam started off very, very well. You know what he did? He called together the counselors that had advised his father, Solomon, and he asked their opinion, and they told him what to do. It sounds good so far, but then we read this in 1 Kings chapter 12. But... He rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I'll add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. How could anybody think that was good advice? 
But he took that advice. Of course, you know the end of the story. He lost the kingdom as a result of listening to that bad advice. Haman is another example of this. Haman was the terrible enemy of the Jews described in the book of Esther. He so hated one Jew, Mordecai the Jew, that he launched a plot to destroy all Jews everywhere on the face of the entire world. And at one point while he was spiraling down into that plot, his wife Zeresh and all his friends, we've got to circle that, all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and so he had the gallows made. Bad advice. Terrible advice. The end of the story is Haman is hanging on that very gallows. He should not have listened. But both of those men, Rehoboam, Haman, and I think we could probably come up with other examples from Scripture, illustrate something I see very, very often in dealing with people. And probably some of you have seen it too. From time to time, people will come to me as as pastor with a problem. And many times, I'm going to say, and maybe I'm exaggerating, but I think maybe most times, when they come to the pastor for advice about a problem they're having, they've already made up their mind. And they're really seeking affirmation for their choice, not truly advice. And the minute the pastor tells them the truth, they walk away. And they unfriend him. They seek out others who've made the same choice that they're wanting to make. I've said it before because it's almost universally true. When a person has made up their mind to divorce their husband or their wife, They almost universally seek out other people who have divorced their husband or their wife. Not because they're seeking advice. They're seeking affirmation for a decision they've already made. They're not looking for wise counsel. But the Bible says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. We need friends who will give good counsel. We need friends who will not just merely tell us what we want to hear. We need friends who are wiser than us, friends who are willing to speak the truth to us. C.S. Lewis said the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. That's a good quote. So friends hurt good. Friends give good advice. Number three, friends are there in calamity. Look at verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Friends are there in calamity. You know Job. We talk about Job every once in a while. Job had absolutely everything. He had wealth. He had health. He had a wife. He had sons and daughters. He had sheep and camels and oxen. He had prestige and honor. He had it all. Until one day Satan put him through the fire and took it all. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. His wife turned on him. His sons and daughters were tragically killed. Those who thought highly of him turned and, 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 and ran the other way. But Job had friends. He had friends. And those friends were still there for him, even when everybody else left him, even in his calamity. Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him. And to comfort him. I think sometimes we give short shrift to Job's friends. I mean, they weren't the brightest of bulbs. They did say some really stupid things to him uh, in their time with him. They did give him some terrible advice and 
They just said a lot of dumb things. But when everybody else fled, they came near. When everybody else abandoned him, they were there. When Job lost everything, they remained with him. And even when they had no words of support, they just sat there silently with him. Friends are there in calamity. I, I, I think their absolute finest hour, Job 2.13, so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Friends are there in calamity, in trial. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Proverbs 17.17 17 says. Paul told the Corinthians that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. A biblical friend doesn't walk away when friendship gets hard. Spurgeon said, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. Friends are there in calamity. And then the fourth thing I see here in this chapter is in verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Friends, make us and keep us sharp. God brings friends into our lives who will improve us who will make us better, who will bring out the best in us. Good friends will challenge us. Good friends will hone us. Good friends will make and keep us sharp. And the same truth is seen in the New Testament as well. The writer of Hebrews wrote, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I think this verse is pretty much a summary. If I was going to have it, text verse today. This is kind of a topical message, but if I was going to have a text verse, this would probably be it, because I think it's a summary of the other three things we've already mentioned. A good friend hurts us when we need hurt. You can't sharpen an axe without grinding off a little steel. I think that's what is being said here. A good friend pours good counsel into your life, and adding a little oil to the process helps the honing as well. And a good friend doesn't quit on you. When you're sharpening an axe, you don't quit till it's sharp. You just keep on going. So what does the Bible say about friendships? Well, it says that good friends, our friends hurt good. It says that friends give good advice. It said friends are there for us, even in calamity. It says friends make us and keep us sharp. It probably says other things, but that's at least what we see here in Proverbs. Let's, let's think now about the second thing I wanted to talk about, though, which is some thoughts on who our friends should be. If you're looking for a friend, what should you be looking for? Well, and the first is obvious. I'll just mention it because it it's, it's obvious, it's a no-brainer, and that's those that we just described. Those who do those things. Those who are that kind of a friend. If you're looking for a friend, you should seek out a friend who meets those biblical descriptions of friendship. And also, you should be that kind of a friend to others. We ought to cherish friends that don't let us get away with sin. We ought to cherish friends that don't let us get away with stupid choices. We ought to cherish friends that give good advice don't merely tell us what our sinful self wants to hear. Cherish friends that are there even in the hard times. Cherish friends that make us better. And stay away from those who are just the opposite. So many times in the Bible we are warned to stay away from those who are just the opposite. To stay away from bad friends. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with an angry man, 
And with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 10. This was the first verse that my little Amy memorized when she was like two. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. We're supposed to stay away from bad friends. We ought to seek friends that fit the biblical model. Reject any others. And that's the overriding thought about how we're going to choose friends. But let me get very practical. Let me just mention a few people who ought to be your friends. First of all, if you're married, your spouse ought to be your friend. Your spouse. As earthly relationships go, none is more important. None. The Bible says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I quote that from the King James because no translation gets that better. Cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Your relationship with your husband or your wife is the only relationship in the Bible described like that, cleaving one flesh. And so I would encourage husbands, consider your wife your very best friend. Treat her like your very best friend. Work harder on that friendship than on any other. And if you have other so-called friends who would drive a wedge between you and her, they are not your friend. And you should drop kick them to the curb. Punch them dead in the face if you have to. They're not your friend. And ladies, I'm going to say the same thing to you. Women have more friends than men generally. We guys aren't like you girls are. You have besties and you have BFFs and all that silly stuff we don't even understand. But I'll tell you something, if you have a bestie in someone else, if you use the term BFF of somebody else other than your husband, you need to rethink your use of that term because you need to work harder on your friendship with him than anybody else. And the same advice I just gave to the guys I'll give to you, if you've got some other so-called friend who tries to drive a wedge between you and him, same thing. I don't know that you want to punch him in the face, but you need to figure out some way to unfriend them. They are not your friend. Your marriage should be the source of your most important earthly friendship. Here's another source from which you ought to be seeking friends. First of all, your spouse. Secondly, your brothers and sisters in Christ should be your friends. Our tagline here at Friendship Bible Church is you have friends here. And you do. Whether or not you know it, you do. Look around this room this morning. This room is full of of people who are your friends. Did you know that our brothers and sisters in Christ are called our friends in the Bible? I I never really noticed this until I was studying for this particular message, but John, in his third epistle, he closed that third epistle with these words, I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. You do have friends here. And they are the best kinds of friends. Christian friends. Believing friends. As pastor, I had had a goal, and I've mentioned it a couple times as an announcement in the bulletin about it as well. I've had a goal for 2019. I just wanted to get uh, get with everybody that is willing to get with me and uh, pick their brain a little bit about how we're doing here at the church. So I'm trying to visit with everybody that I can, and I'm asking some questions. And if you're nervous about that and you think it's some kind of an inquisition, just ask somebody who's been through it. They're really not hard questions. But the last question I always preface it by saying this is the most important question that I'm going to ask. And the last question is always this. Do you have friends 
at Friendship Bible Church because that is so important. It is so vital. It is so much a part of what we want this church to be. Paul wrote to the Roman Christians and said, Be kindly affectioned one to another to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Well, listen, my friends, if you're seeking friends, please look around you because they are here. They surround you. You do have friends here. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are a wonderful group from which to find friends. Your spouse, your Christian brothers and sisters. But there's a friend even more important than that that I want to tell you about. The Savior wants to be your friend. One day Jesus said to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. John 15, verse 15. We've sung about it a lot this morning. If you are a Christian, you have no better friend than Jesus. If you've been born again, if you're saved, if you've been washed in the blood, if you've been forgiven of your sins, if you are redeemed, then you have a friend like no other friend. The songwriter said, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. That song was written by a man by the name of Will Thompson. Well, Thompson actually was from East Liverpool, Ohio. He's buried in East Liverpool, Ohio. Jesus is all the world to me. The Song of Solomon in the Old Testament is a fascinating book. One of these days I will get brave and preach from the Song of Solomon. I don't know. It'll be a hard one to preach from. But it's a love poem written by Solomon, we believe. And there are two ways that the, that the Song of Solomon is, is usually interpreted. The first way it's usually interpreted, and probably the most accurate way, is that it is exactly what it purports to be, which is a love poem between a man and a woman. It's actually describing a relationship between Solomon and the Shunammite woman. But there's another way that it is often interpreted, and that is as a picture, an illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. And boy, there's some wonderful, wonderful thinking there if you interpret it that way. In chapter 5 and verse number 9, the companions of the woman ask her, they say, what is it about your beloved that is more than any other beloved? What makes him so special? What's so great about Jesus if we're interpreting it that way? And then she proceeds to answer that question, and she describes all of his wonderful qualities for several verses. And then she concludes with verse number 16. She says, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem, our Savior, our beloved, is indeed our friend, our best friend. I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. I found a friend, oh, such a friend. He bled, he died to save me. And not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Why should I charge my soul with care? The wealth of every mind belongs to Christ, God's son and heir, and he's a friend of mine. The silver moon, the golden sun, the countless stars, the shine are his alone. Yes, every one, and he's a friend of mine. He daily spreads a glorious feast, and at his table dine the whole creation, man and beast, and he's a friend of mine. And when he comes in bright array and leads the conquering line, it will be glory then to say, he's a friend of mine. 
Yeah, he's a friend of mine, and he with me doth all things share. Since all is Christ, and Christ is mine, why should I have a care? For Jesus is a friend of mine. Can you say that this morning? Well, let me close with one final thought. And it's a thought for the friendless. For those who might be here today who may feel that they have few or no friends. Let me say, first of all, that you may feel that way. But your feelings mislead you. You do have friends. You do have a friend in Jesus if you will only trust him. If you will only turn your life over to him. And you do have friends surrounding you this morning in this church. And you have a friend in me. Please believe these things. Don't believe your feelings. But above and beyond those truths, the Bible offers us I think some very practical advice when you struggle with that thought. And I've had people say that to me oftentimes, that they struggle to find friends. And I think the best place we could go is Proverbs 18.24. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think that last part of that is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, but that first part, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. I know that some English translations, depending on what you're holding this morning, might translate that in a different way, but I like the way the King James translates it. If you want friends, you need to be a friend. If you want to have friends, you need to be a friend. One man said, I went out to find a friend, but could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, and friends were everywhere. That's Proverbs 18. A man that hath friends must himself be friendly. Curtis Hudson said, we're on the wrong track when we think of friendship as something to get rather than something to give. And Dale Carnegie said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. There are so many opportunities here at Friendship Bible Church where you can both be a friend to others and in so doing find friends. Sunday school classes, starting up here in just a few weeks. Every once in a while somebody will say to me, how come you don't have any small groups? We do have small groups. Called Sunday school. Meets every single Lord's Day at 9.30. Find one. Become a part of it. Men's and women's Bible studies, chicks meetings, men's prayer breakfast, youth group for the teens, activities, fellowships by the score. So many opportunities. And I guarantee you, if you dip your toe in that water, in one of those pools, you'll find friends. Father God, we're thankful for your word Thankful, Lord, for these few thoughts this morning about friends and friendship. I pray it's helpful. I pray it's encouraging. I pray uh, in some ways it's convicting. I pray, Father, if there are those here today who have never found a friend in Jesus, Lord, that's the most important friendship of all that we talked about here today. Lord, I pray nobody would leave this place without being able to say, He is my friend, my best friend. I know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I just pray, Father, if there's anybody who hasn't made that decision, who has not come into that kind of a relationship with Christ, that they would this morning. I pray if they don't understand what it means, I pray they'd step out as we sing. They come to the front, let someone take the Bible and show them how they can know more clearly and understand more clearly how Jesus can be their very best friend. And I pray, Father, for Christians today. Not really sure how to pray for them. I pray perhaps that you would just fill us today with a heart of thanksgiving for the realities of friendship. Lord, we have friends, many of us, that we take for granted. Forgive us. 
Forgive us, Lord, when we take for granted those friends who are biblical true friends, who hurt good, who give good advice, who are there in, in good times and bad, and who never quit on us. Father, I pray if we have friends, we'd be thankful. Some of us perhaps need to spend some time just saying thank you, Lord, for that today. And, Lord, if there's other needs, if, 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 if folks need to come and say, Lord, I, I, I need to be a better friend, uh, I pray they do that. Whatever the needs might be, Father, I pray as we sing, as we think about these things, as the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, Lord, just uh, help us today. And uh, if we need to make decisions, help us to make them. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.